You're listening to Blue Room, Blue Cast Child Podcast, part of Indiana Review. I'm Hannah Thompson, and today, Kenise Jarbo reads Landscape with My Father and a Dead Man's Harmonica from Indiana Review 39.2, Winter 2017. Afterwards, I interview poetry editor Annie Mew on why she selected this piece. father and a dead man's harmonica. The Missouri state line is as good a place as any to kill yourself. After he bought the farm from your widow, he thought you static on the TV. He thought you dripping dark honey onto the ceiling fan for months, too hot for the hive in the attic to hold. When he heard the harmonica past midnight, it was you. In the sink, the china with the mutable pattern of black ants. Minerals to strengthen asphalt shingles, granules of oyster shells and mica. I think they use zinc now to keep algae from growing, to keep the roof a reflective black ocean. This is where my father lives. Always nail gun, always steel toe, always linoleum knife. He forgot the tarp and me, a midnight bride with a 40-foot train. There was someone in the rafters that night watching. A girl disappear into a darker field. I still wonder who was waiting in the rafters. Who and their nest of flannel work shirts will steal the tractor. He made a mask for me. Cow pelvis fixed to the inside of a welding helmet. Gun. Oil. Gun, oil, 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 gun, oil. My father has a harmonica and he is playing a song I don't know. How are you? Hi, Hannah. I'm great. 
How are you doing? Pretty good. I am excited to talk to you about this piece and about Jarbo's pretty intense reading. Yeah, me too. Yeah. This is a poem that has really stayed with me. And just hearing the recording today also, um, the reading of it is so affecting. Like you can just hear the emotion in their voice when they're reading it? Yeah, and it also sounds like they're in this very kind of echoey place. Yeah. And something about that really fits the quality of the poem, too. Oh, absolutely. It's like they're in um, an empty attic. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so what part did you play in the selection process? Yeah, so I was associate poetry editor the semester that um, this poem came up. And it was last year's poetry editor, Emily Corwin, brought it to one of the c- deliberation meetings. And so I was in the room, and one of the people who commented and deliberated with everyone and in the end voted on it. Why did you want to talk about this piece on the podcast? Yeah, so for this issue, I was thinking about all the pieces that we'd selected. And this was one that came to me right away, right? I didn't have to kind of flip through and go, okay, this is the one. Um, this one was very memorable. And I think in part because we had a pretty long conversation about it during deliberation meeting. There was something about it that it was, I think, hitting all of us at a kind of visceral level, but a lot of us couldn't at first sort of intellectualize or verbalize what exactly was happening. And so I think there was something about that conversation and about my engagement with the poem that made it um, incredibly memorable. Um, in addition to the imagery and sort of the the coherence and the resonance of the whole and how surprising it is. It really stood out in the meetings, but um, this year you look through the slush pile and you pull pieces from there. And I know you didn't look at this piece in the slush pile, but I imagine that it's one that would grab you from the slush pile. Yeah. So if you could just talk to that. When reading slush, I often found myself kind of wanting to have the poem really pull me in, right? And sort of announce its presence, almost like a person in a room. Some of them, really, you know, I could be reading like the 50th poem and there's an energy that just says, you know, stay with me, right? And it just pulls me along and rather than the other way around. And so I think there's an assurance in this piece. There's, you know, something that is almost eluding my intelligence, you know, that it makes me want to reread it. And when I reread it, if it surprises me, I think that's a, a sign that a poem needs to be in IR. When people talk about what makes a poem stand out, I'll hear a lot of, or see a lot of people talking about first lines and end lines. And I mean, this poem kills it. But I think what you mention about the poem pulling you along rather than the other way around mm-hmm. is a really wonderful thing to notice the beginnings and the ends of poems sort of leave you or start you off in a place but there's something about how the poem leads you yeah this one's first line is also very striking Mm -hmm. um and also the title how it it interacts with the title Mm -hmm. it's a landscape with my father and a dead man's harmonica it's kind of mysterious from the get-go and it's posing a question to to the reader how do these things come together? Immediately we get part of that answer, at least, that it's 
This landscape is um, at the Missouri State Line, which gives it a specificity of place that I always appreciate in poems, and then also sets up the situation that we know that there is someone who killed himself in, in this house. Yeah, and the ending, too. There isn't the kind of closure, right, that snaps the lid shut on a poem. Yeah, absolutely. But it brings us back to the harmonica, too. In, like, a really different way, too. That just is informed by everything that's happened so far in the poem. Yeah, there's this transformation that takes place. In some ways, the end line really reflects the title. And so there is this circularity. It pushes us right back to the beginning. But the acknowledgement of the speaker and not recognizing the song, I think also allows us to look at the poem as a kind of song that we don't know and wonder about where this song comes from. So I want to talk about poetry genre a little bit. Poetry is often split into categories of lyrical versus narrative. Where does this poem fall? And why is that an important question to ask? I think that's a productive question for this piece. Given our discussion during deliberation, I remember a lot of us were wondering about the narrative. We were trying to piece together a narrative. And I think that's what we do when we read. Even if it's not the kind of clear-cut beginning, middle, end, one of the things that was really satisfying to me about the discussion of this piece was that we were able to build a sort of collaged narrative from these separate little vignettes, these separate images. So I think this poem operates really well in kind of the line between a poem that is, you know, more straightforward narrative and a poem that's sort of following a, a sort of more surreal lyric impulse. For me, the definition of lyric is a poem where you're looking at patterns in order to find some sort of meaning. I think that the way that this poem might works as a hybrid is that you're piecing together these different images in order to form a narrative. It's a lyric, a lyric puzzle where the answer is a narrative. <laughs> Yeah, and also the title of the poem, too, that it's kind of borrowing from the convention of titling paintings. In some ways, like in painting, too, there is this the surface, right, and then the what's painted. This is a poem that both draws attention to its surface and also is depicting something. Um, that's very nicely put, Annie. Thanks. Welcome. I wanted to say that I know you're interested in experimental work. How would you define experimental poetry, and does this poem qualify? I think every poem is experimental in its own way, but the ones that are maybe categorized as experimental, I think are prioritizing different aspects of the poem. It might prioritize sound over um, narrative, or it might prioritize texture of the language, maybe a playfulness and a kind of mystery that it's okay with sort of leaving us with. This poem, especially the line that's just comprised of the words gun oil, mm -hmm. that part was, I think, the most jarring part of the poem and the most surprising part of it, or one of the most surprising parts. And so I don't know if that inclusion makes it experimental, but I, I definitely see that Jarbo is trying something here and really risking something. I was really excited to hear their reading of that line in particular. Yeah, me too. It was really beautiful. We we read the pieces aloud to each other during deliberation, and I think the person who read it 
read it more like gun oil, gun oil, gun oil. And it became like this defamiliarized sort of sound that was almost metallic or kind of mm. like, like you know how when you hit a piece of metal and it sometimes goes like boing? Mm-hmm. It, it reminded me of that. But the way that they read it in the recording is so melodic and, you know, has space between the words. And that was really lovely. You use the word melodic, and that makes me think of the the last line about the song, I Don't Know, Hmm. and the harmonica. And I think when I first read this poem, you know, I didn't see the gun oil. I didn't see them as separate words. I just, I was like, what is, what is this repetition of the same letters Hmm. and so I thought it was some sort of onomatopoeia of the harmonica you mentioning the way that Jarbeau reads it as melodic brings me back to that that feeling of even this 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 melody that we can't access because we're reading it on the page and Hmm. there's no musical notation but there's this idea of it being there Hmm. right now that I'm looking at it too as onomatopoeia it looks almost like gunoil Mm-hmm. Right, we can almost we can misread it that way, like gunoil, Hmm. So we get a lot of poems that are thematically ghostly and magical. I think many poets try to freshen their writing by making it weird, but in doing so, they fail to understand what makes their poems stale in the first place. That's not the case with Jarbo. Why is that? And what can we as poets learn from them? How do we avoid writing tropes? and cliches into weird magical poems. I come back a lot to our motto of carefully strange. To be carefully strange, we do have to think beyond sort of the tropes of strangeness. By now we have, you know, a pretty standard canon of what makes a work fit into sort of the familiar strange or the familiar surreal. And it no longer really functions that way because it's these are images that have been used time and time again. If it becomes cliche in that way, right, then we don't experience it the way that the author intends. And so I think there's always probably something that would fit better and be more effective. And, you know, I think about what Patrick Rizal talks about where the cliche is just something that hasn't been fully uncovered. Right, that it's there's something hidden there because it's been glossed over with familiar language. Is there anything else you want to say about this poem, Annie? I just want to say how much I love the image of the midnight bride with a 40-foot train, mm. that the tarp is being turned into a bridal train. That mm. was really amazing. That's I think that's a moment of strangeness that is that is fresh, that is... This sort of like disgusting but wild image. Mm. Well, thank you so much, Annie. Kanice Jarbeau is the author of the chapbook Dark Acre, published by Willow Springs Books in 2018. Jarbeau has been the recipient of an editorial internship with River Sticks, a scholarship from the Frost Place, and currently serves as a reader for Boulevard. Their poems appear recently or soon in Typo, New South, Hayden's Fairy Review, and elsewhere. Originally from rural southeastern Kansas, Jarbeau has since moved from town to town in Europe and the U.S. They currently live and teach in coastal Louisiana. I'm Hannah Thompson, the web editor at Indiana Review. You can find me at 
Hands Love Handles on Twitter. Um, you can follow Indiana Review on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at InReview, or check out our website, indianareview.org. Annie, how can people get a hold of you? You can email me at inreview, inreview at indiana.edu. Thank you so much for coming in and talking with me about this poem, Annie. Thanks for having me, Hannah. This has been really fun. I haven't gotten to interview anybody about poems since I started this podcast and as a poet that's been kind of sad and I also feel like I'm just better at talking about poems than I am about fiction so yeah I could spend the rest of the afternoon talking about this poem for sure yeah me too but we are have to be at the studio and I'm hungry <laughs> this has been Blue Room see you next time